This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. We turn in God's Word this morning to the last book of the prophecy of Isaiah. The last chapter of the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 66. Isaiah chapter 66. In chapter 66, Isaiah gives the prophecy of the end of the new heavens and the new earth and the judgment of God against His enemies. Hear the Word of God. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hands made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor, and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. He that killeth an ox is as if he slew a man. He that sacrificeth a lamb as if he cut off a dog's neck. He that offereth an oblation as if he offered swine's blood. He that burneth incense as if he blessed an idol. Yea, they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delighteth in their abominations. I also will choose their delusions and will bring their fears upon them, because when I called, none did answer. When I spake, they did not hear, but they did evil before mine eyes, and chose that in which I delighted not. Hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at His word. Your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake, said, Let the Lord be glorified, but He shall appear to your joy, and they shall be ashamed. A voice of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, a voice of the Lord that rendereth recompense to his enemies. Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, She brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the birth and not cause to bring forth, saith the Lord? Shall I cause to bring forth and shut the womb, saith saith thy God? Rejoice ye with Jerusalem and be glad with her, all ye that love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all ye that mourn for her, that he may suck and be satisfied with the breasts of her consolations that he may milk out and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Then shall he suck, he shall be born upon her her sides, and be dandled upon her knees. As one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you, and he shall be comforted in Jerusalem." And when you see this, your heart shall rejoice, and your bones shall flourish like an herb, and the hand of the Lord shall be known toward His servants, and His indignation toward His enemies. For behold, the Lord will come with fire, and with His chariots like a whirlwind to render His anger with fury, and His rebuke with flames of fire. And by fire and by His sword will the Lord plead with all flesh, and the slain of the Lord shall be many. They that sanctify themselves and purify themselves in the gardens behind one tree in the midst, eating swine flesh and the abomination and the mouse, shall be consumed together, saith the Lord. For I know their works and their thoughts. It shall come that I will gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. And I will set a sign among them, and I will send those that escape of them unto the nations, to Tarshish, Pol, and Lud, that draw the bow, 
to Tubal and Javan, to the isles afar off that have not heard my fame, neither have seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles. And they shall bring all your brethren for an offering unto the Lord out of all nations, upon horses and in chariots and in litters, and upon mules and upon swift beasts, to my holy mountain Jerusalem, saith the Lord, as the children of Israel bring an offering in a clean vessel into the house of the Lord. And I will also take of them for priests and for Levites, saith the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. For their worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an, an abhorring unto all flesh. We read that far in God's inspired word. Turn now with me to the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 16. The Catechism is explaining what we believe and who we believe as summed up in the Apostles' Creed. And in Lord's Day 16, in question and answer 44, we come to that part of our Christian faith where we confess He descended into hell. Why is there added He descended into hell? that in my greatest temptations I may be assured and wholly comfort myself in this, that my Lord Jesus Christ, by His inexpressible anguish, pains, terrors, and hellish agonies in which He was plunged during all His sufferings, but especially on the cross, hath delivered me from the anguish and torments of hell. Beloved in the Lord, He descended into hell. Do you understand that confession? Does it strike you as it should? Do you feel anything when you confess that every Sunday evening, there's something terrible in that confession. For what can be more terrible than hell itself? And there is something comforting in that confession as the Catechism explains, for it assures me of salvation. And yet first, first, we need to consider how shockingly terrible this is. We need to come to a better understanding, to grips with the grossness, the loathsomeness, the horrible nature of the hell that we brought with our sin upon Jesus. Preach hell. That was an exhortation I heard from a minister while I was a college student as he exhorted other preachers or those training to be ministers. Preach hell. Preach hell with its fire, its brimstone, its terror, its grossness. Not because you like it or like to preach it. In Isaiah 66, verse 24, we read the word abhorring. It's an abhorring unto all flesh. It's, it's abhorrent should be. There would be something wrong if the preacher enjoys or likes or the people who hear the preaching and enjoy and like the doctrine of hell. But we need to hear it and we need to preach it. 
because it's in the Bible for one, in many places, because it leads God's people to a proper fleeing from sin, to faith in Jesus Christ, and it leads by God's grace, as we see today, to being overwhelmed not only by the horror of hell, but to being overwhelmed by the love of God in Jesus Christ who took that which we deserve. The best context in which to preach hell is this one. Because it connects very closely hell to what Jesus did. He descended into hell. What He did for us. Isaiah the prophet closes his prophecy with this doctrine of hell. He concludes, we can say, his 66 chapter long sermon to the church with hell. And you and I might be inclined to say with our sinful human natures who think sometimes that we are wiser than God, Isaiah, you should have stopped here with verse 23. Verses 22 and 23 describe the new heavens and the new earth where all flesh come and worship God forever. That would have been a fitting, positive conclusion. But the Holy Spirit who inspired Isaiah would not let Isaiah stop there. He had Isaiah include verse 24. And they, referring to God's people who worship in the new heavens and the new earth, they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. For their worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. And it's with that that Isaiah says, Amen. The last words are supposed to be lasting words. Why does Isaiah end on that? Why does the Spirit have him end his prophecy with that? So that while God's people know with confidence with assurance that there is a new heavens and a new earth for them because of His mercy, they might still realize that at the same time He is a just God. And they who are in the new heavens and the new earth know what they deserve. And then this too. Because Isaiah stands in the Old Testament looking forward to Jesus Christ. And he ends this way that he may drive God's people to the only comfort in life and in death. The comfort of belonging to Jesus who takes our hell for us. As revealed in the New Testament. Consider with me the catechism's explanation and teaching of Christ's descent into hell first, the hell we deserve. Second, the hell He suffered. And finally, the hell we escape. We need to be moved. Moved deeply by the Bible's description of hell. Notice that Isaiah does not use the word hell, but instead chooses to describe it in some detail. And again, we don't like this, but we must consider it. Carcasses of men, Isaiah says. Men does not refer only to males, but the dead bodies of mankind. Their worms shall not die. That is, flesh-eating worms or maggots. They shall not die. Neither shall their fire be quenched. That is, there will be a fire that burns everlastingly with great heat, never to be put out. 
and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. Isaiah uses the strongest word for that which is despised. They is not just the people in this place, but the worm, the fire, everything in this place is abhorred. It's loathsome, it's revolting, it's disgusting, it is gut-wrenching. This is the worst that you can imagine. Hell is an abhorrence to us. When the people of Israel heard Isaiah speak of this hell and describe it, when they read about this later on, they were more repulsed than we are today, I believe. Because what Isaiah is doing here at the end of Isaiah is he's actually describing a literal location, a literal place that the Israelites knew about and that they had actually gone to. He was pointing them to a place called the Valley of Hinnom. In the New Testament, it's referred to as Gehenna. Geh meaning valley and Henna meaning Hinnom. Valley of Hinnom was a deep, dark, steep valley, more like a ravine, or we can call it even a pit. And you and I, as members of Hope Church, have been going through a series of sermons in Nehemiah, and so you can picture for, with me that which we have already gone through, where the valley of Hinnom was. Think of the city and its walls, and the valley of Hinnom was by the Dung Gate. Remember that, children. At the southern end of the city and to the west of the city, the southwest gate was the Dung Gate. And outside the Dung Gate, when people walked out the Dung Gate, they walked down, down, down to the valley of Hinnom. Verse 24 says in Isaiah 66, they shall go forth and look upon and the people of Israel must have shivered when they read that or heard that because they had done that, literally. They had gone forth out of the dung gate before and looked upon this valley of Hinnom. Isaiah was describing something true to the experience, something they had actually sensed. All its smells, all its sounds, all its sights. And what Isaiah is telling them here in the prophecy is that in the new heavens and the new earth, or the new Jerusalem, even then there will be still a valley of Hinnom. The worst part of this valley of Hinnom to the people of Israel was human sacrifice. Isaiah prophesied during the time of Ahaz, chapter 1, verse 1, tells us that explicitly. And you know what wicked King Ahaz did. He descended with the people into the valley of Hinnom and there built his idol god called Molech and then sacrificed his own children as well as other people upon the altar to Molech. Second Chronicles 28 puts it this way, he burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burnt his children in the fire after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. When Israelites heard this prophecy of Isaiah and read it, they thought about that which Ahaz had done. They had heard the cries and the weeping and the gnashing of teeth themselves. The other name for this valley was the Valley of Tophet. Tophet. Tophet means fireplace or fiery furnace. Jeremiah 7.31, they have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I commanded them not, neither came it into my heart. It's a place of fire. Because, as you know, the Valley of Hinnom is on the southwest side of the city of Jerusalem. 
It was dark. It didn't get much sunlight. And it was dark also because there was much smoke. Much smoke. Not only from the sacrifices which Ahaz made, but because it was a dump where much was burned. Later on, a sewer system would be built through the dung gate out into the valley of Hinnom. But it was also where the bodies of animals were discarded and also where dung was actually brought and where the refuse, the garbage of the city that was heavily populated was brought. And so there was a need to burn and continue burning. And there was much smoke. A smelly smoke which darkened that valley. And as you know, along with that smoke, it seemed like the worms and the flies which laid the eggs which hatched into worms. And they never died but continued to consume the garbage and that which it was in the literal valley of Hinnom. The people of Israel seen it, had smelled it, and heard everything that went on there. This was an abominable abhorrence to them. People of Israel saw it when Isaiah described it as a picture of hell. The literal valley of Hinnom was not hell. But Isaiah now describes it as a picture of the hell to come. The Catechism speaks of hell with this word, inexpressible. Inexpressible anguish, pains, terrors, agonies. Meaning, it is that which words cannot even describe. It is that which the human mind cannot fully understand or comprehend. We can compare it to the greatness of heaven. As incomprehensibly wondrous heaven is, what the Queen of Sheba said, the half of which was not told me, so incomprehensibly abominable is hell, the half of which is not told us. God gave the people of Israel a gruesome picture. And some people try to minimize the awfulness of hell by saying, well, hell is just, it's just, it's just a picture, just pictured by, by the fire and the, and the smoke and the worms and all the rest in the valley of Hinnom. It's just a picture. And so I ask that, this question in response to that minimization of hell. Isn't the reality always greater than the picture. It is. Yes, the Valley of Hinnom is just a picture. Which means the real hell that Isaiah prophesies of is worse. Far worse. This is not only what Isaiah prophesied, but Jesus Christ Himself confirmed the prophecy of Isaiah by quoting it, by referring to it. In Mark chapter 9, verse 47, Jesus says, If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. He quotes Isaiah 66, verse 24. And when he says, he speaks of that word hellfire, the word hellfire literally is Gehenna, the valley of Hinnom. And again and again, Jesus would preach about this hell. Many say, Jesus is a loving Savior, and He wouldn't send anyone to hell. He wants to bring everyone to heaven. But beloved, read the Bible. Jesus preaches about Gehenna more than any other preacher. Yes, He is the Christ of love. He is. And we'll see His great love in a moment. But Jesus impressed upon the people the doctrine of hell. Quoting Isaiah 66. 
For anyone who does not repent, he tells us here in this text of Mark 9, the valley of Hittim comes in all its greatness as pictured by the valley of Hinnom. What Isaiah and Jesus shows us is that it's a real place. It's not just a state of mind as some claim. It's a place, literally, where people will go, soul and body. That's Isaiah's point in verse 24. They shall go forth and look upon the carcasses and so on. Isaiah is not saying, of course, that there will be a field trip regularly from heaven to see hell. But his point is, hell is a place that people go to. The real place. Related to that is that it's a place of conscious suffering. Those who went to the Valley of Hinnom, the literal Valley of Hinnom, suffered consciously for a while, but then, as you know, they died and they ceased to suffer in the literal Valley of Hinnom. But that's where the picture falls short, doesn't it? Scripture reveals that when there is a suffering of hell, it is eternal, it is everlasting. That is what the justice of God demands. There's some called annihilationists who say that hell is where people go, but soon those in hell will be annihilated. That is, they'll not only die, but they'll cease to exist. The pain will not last forever. But that is explicitly rejected all over the place in Scripture. In Revelation 20, verse 10, they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. But God is merciful, they say. And the Catechism answers on the basis of Scripture, God is merciful, but also just. And therefore, as justice requires, Lord's Day 4, that sin which is committed against the Most High Majesty of God be punished with extreme, that is, with everlasting punishment of body and soul. Justice is not meanness. Justice is not a God who gleefully brings something upon another because He enjoys it. Justice is part of the holiness and the goodness of God. So holy is He that He must bring the exact measure of punishment upon sin. To be a just God, He may do no otherwise. And here's what we need to realize. You and I deserve this. This valley of Hinnom, this Tophet, in all of its torment, consciously, eternally, because of our sin. Verse 24, they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed. See that word transgressed in the Scriptures? The word transgressed means rebellion. The valley of Hinnom, Isaiah is saying, is for those who have committed rebellion, transgressed. And that's what sin is. That's the nature of sin. Sin is to know what God wants us to do and calls us to do, and sin is to say, I'll do otherwise. I don't care if it's wrong. For such transgression against me, God says, here is the valley of Hinnom. The word there, their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, emphasizes that point. It's theirs. It's what they deserve. It's their fault. And 
we deserve it too. For we have sinned in the same way. And how can we escape? That's the burning question, isn't it? How can we escape this valley of Hinnom? As He ends with hell to point us to the One who takes our hell. He descended into the valley of Hinnom in our place. Don't minimize that. Understand that with as much completeness as you can. That's why I went in detail in the first point about hell. You need to understand what He willingly took upon Himself. He descended into this valley of Hinnom to suffer, as the Catechism put it, inexpressible anguish so that even after we've considered some of these details in the first point, it's, it's still inexpressible. I cannot fully describe it and you cannot fully understand it. He suffered. He suffered far more than you will ever understand. Believe this truth concerning Christ's work. First consider that when Christ suffered this hell, negatively, He did not descend to the place of hell with His body and soul. He didn't go there with His body. That should be obvious to us. His body was on the cross. And after He died, His body was on the cross for a while. And we consider last week that Joseph and Nicodemus took His body off the cross and brought it to the tomb. And that body remained in the tomb for three days, after which it rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. The Lutherans are not correct when they speak of His body and soul actually going to the place of hell. His soul, His human soul did not go to the location of hell either. Especially not after His death. Remember, Jesus said on the cross, today to the believing thief, today thou shalt be with Me in paradise. And He said, into thy hands, Father, I commend my spirit or soul. Too many even in our churches today misunderstand the Apostles' Creed to mean that after Jesus died, somehow by His soul, He went to hell. No, it is finished. After His death, it was finished. That is, the suffering of hell itself too was finished. The Roman Catholics are wrong to teach that Christ's soul went to hell to a place of hell called purgatory that is particularly, as the, as the Catholics teach it, to limbus patrum, the, the, the place where the, the fathers of the Old Testament supposedly went to suffer because Christ had not yet come. That's their claim. That's unbiblical. It's not founded anywhere in Scripture. The Old Testament saints, because they were elect in Jesus Christ, and God looked upon them as those whom Christ had suffered from the foundations of the world, they immediately went to heaven as well with their souls. There was no purgatory for them to suffer or hell to suffer at their death. When we confess in the Apostles' Creed He descended into hell, we do not mean, children, children, we do not mean that He chronologically after death went to the location of hell. The Catechism explains how and when He suffered this hell. During all His sufferings, meaning all through His life, but especially on the cross. That's when He was plunged to suffer, to descend into this hell. What we confess when we say He descended into hell is a summary 
of all that He endured for our sins, especially that which He endured on the cross. But having said that negatively, I am not saying, and I do not mean to, to, to imply at all that His sufferings were not nearly as bad as, if someone, as, as someone who would go to the location of hell. No. On the contrary, the sufferings were great. Greater even than anyone who suffers in hell today. For all His people, for all His people and for all their sins, He took the infinite wrath of God and endured it completely in His lifetime and on the cross. It's inexpressible how much anguish, pain that was. But you may think of it this way. When the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, came from heaven and was incarnate to be a babe in the womb of Mary, it was as though Jesus went to the southwest corner of the heavenly city of Jerusalem and exited through the dung gate. And as He lived His life of suffering from the womb to the tomb, that was like Jesus descending, descending deeper, deeper into the dark pit, the ravine of Hinnom. All through His life, He descended. And when He was placed upon the cross, it was as though Jesus was placed upon the altar of the burning fire in that Gehenna. No, God said in Jeremiah 7, it didn't enter into my mind that you sacrificed your children to Molech. But it was in my mind to bring my son, my only son, to endure Gehenna for you. You see, people of God, what Jesus has done. This is Ephesians 4.9, an explanation of He descended into hell. Now that He ascended, what is it? But that He also descended first into the lowest parts of the earth. That's a figurative way of saying He descended into hell all His life. To the lowest parts. And then endured hell itself especially on the cross. Is that not what God made clear? That the cross especially was the depths of the valley of Hinnom? Think of the despicableness, the shame, the grossness of a naked criminal hanging in public view. They shall be an abhorring, Isaiah says, unto all flesh. Think of the darkness that engulfed the land from 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. That was the darkness of the valley of Hinnom. And when the wrath of God, which is a consuming fire, was poured upon Jesus Christ, think about the unquenchable fire that never ceaseth when the valley of Hinnom now poured into the soul of Jesus Christ. Isaiah said it earlier on in Isaiah 30.33, a not very well-known passage. But Isaiah 30.33, look it up. For Tophet, or Hinnom, is ordained, meaning planned of old. Yea, for the king, for the king it is prepared. He has made it deep and large. The pile thereof is fire and much wood. And the breath of the Lord like a stream of brimstone doth kindle it. For God's people, it was prepared for your King. God's breath, like a stream of brimstone, did kindle upon Jesus Christ 
as He hung on the cross. And if you can't see it as pictured in Hinnom and then on the cross, then you can hear it. But what is more terrible? Then the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. My God. My God. Why hast thou forsaken me? In our place, beloved. In our place. That's the gospel. And we have not yet comprehended this, but this is the gospel. He endured the inexpressible anguish, pains and terrors and hellish agonies. You are loved by God and Jesus Christ more than you can comprehend. Hell proves it. The valley of Hinnom. Gehenna testifies of it. How much does Jesus love His people to the same degree as the degree of the temperatures of fire in hell? How much does Jesus Christ love us, His people, as much as hell is abominable? How much does God love us in Jesus Christ as long as hell is eternal? Does that make you want to leave God's house today and go back to sin? If you are listening to the doctrine of hell and then what Jesus did and enduring it in all of its anguish for His people, you should feel the opposite. Your sins, your filth, your stench. That's what sin is. That was the reason the very Son of God had to descend into Gehenna. Your sin is that trash, that dung, that garbage. And all your self-righteousness that you seek to make your righteousness before God is that filth and garbage and dung that you ought to suffer for as well. Thrown into the valley of Him. It's disgusting. So despicable should your sin be to you. So repent. And believe in this Jesus. In that way, flee from the wrath to come. It's real. This is not to say that your repentance and faith is any basis or reason or cause or condition for your deliverance from hell. We just talked about the, con- the basis, the reason, the cause. Jesus Christ. But how do you know? How do you know that this Jesus Christ descended into hell for you? In sorrow for your sin, you turn and you cling to Him and to Him alone. Period. The Catechism says, that I may be assured and wholly comfort myself in this, 
that my Lord Jesus Christ was plunged during all His sufferings, but especially on the cross, had delivered me from the anguish and torments of hell. Do you hear that personal faith? Repent and believe. Through faith, you have that assurance. A faith that need not even look at how well I repented, for you never repent enough. A faith that does not look to the good works that I will do, even that of thanks, though I will. Of course I will. A faith that looks to Jesus Christ and rests in Him. How do you know? How are you assured personally that He descended hell for you? Not by looking to my outward membership in some denomination. Not by looking to my family with the right last name. Not by looking to my good reputation or by how someone judges me. But only by looking to Jesus Christ. And by faith, I know. And you know. And this is my Lord Jesus Christ. He had delivered me. And He gives that faith, God does, by His Spirit to the hearts of His people who hear that call to believe. Many today, beloved, are terrorized by the fear of hell. There's a part of us that feels that fear too. So the catechism brings up the greatest temptation. In my greatest of temptations, we read, I may be assured, what is your greatest temptation? You might not admit it, but your greatest temptation is Doubt. It is Satan coming to you and telling you, first go ahead and sin, and then you're coming to the valley of Hinnom with me. And when God's people sometimes join the world and play with sin, they hear Satan tempting, whispering, you're one of us. And your conscience bears witness to that as well. Not only after sin, but sometimes in our sicknesses, even physical sicknesses, which weakens our souls. Because body and soul are so united in our failures, in our conflicts and home and church. We sometimes wonder, what if hell is my destination? And then when judgments come from others against us who hate us, who threaten, who say you are on the way to hell because of this or that, and the judgments of others crowd in upon our minds and we, we begin to fear what if they're right. The temptations come upon the child of God. So I preach to you against all judgments of men. Against the judgments of your conscience itself and upon against the judgments of Satan who comes to you to tempt you in your greatest temptations. Turn to Jesus Christ and look upon Him and upon Him alone, upon no other man, upon no other judge, and know with certainty and be assured by faith and faith alone that Jesus has descended hell for you, for me. And then marvel, wholly comforting yourself in this, 
marvel. Come with me and stand. Imagine yourself standing on that southwest corner of the walls of Jerusalem again. And this time on top of the walls. That's where they stand. The people of God. And the heights of Jerusalem. Yes, one day in glory, but today too. And look down. Yes. That valley of Hinnom is far below. It's very terrible. But this is the work of Jesus Christ displayed. You stand there on the walls of Jerusalem and you look down, not, not to be gleeful, but what's going on down there. There's sorrow there in that way too when we think about loved ones who may be there or going there. When we stand on the walls of Jerusalem and look down, that we may recognize that which Jesus has done, the incomprehensible depths of that valley of Hinnom, He has endured. And not only that, but He's endured in order to raise us up to incomprehensible heights to the heavenly Jerusalem. How overwhelming hell is. But there is nothing more overwhelming than the grace of Jesus Christ our Savior who descended to the inexpressible anguish of hell to raise us to the incomprehensible heights of the new Jerusalem. Praise God, your Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. We publish daily meditations, Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day sermons on Wednesdays, and topical podcasts on Fridays. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org, and you can email us with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.